Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokies and tokets And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Thursday, March 10th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Back to Thanks for joining us here live on CannabisRadio.com, where I'm coming to you from beautiful, legal Grastoria, Oregon. That's right, Astoria, Oregon, the northern tip of the the Oregon coast, right there at the mouth of the Columbia River, the end of the journey for Lewis and Clark on their expedition in the 19th century. There's a lot of history here. There's a lot of heritage here, a lot of Native American history, of course, here as well. But I think what most people know Astoria for is it's the home of the Goonies. That's right. Goonies never say die. And we're coming to you live from Astoria today. Uh, We'll be in Phoenix next week. Got my schedule somewhat worked out. So we'll be flying out Monday to Phoenix, Arizona and bringing you some shows from the desert. So stay tuned for those. Coming up on today's show, we are going to take a look at democracy in this country. In the Radical Rant, I'm going to take a look at... The state of Maine and the state of Michigan, where the officials there, the elected officials, are doing everything in their power to deny the right of the people to set their own laws. And it's just another example, another couple of examples of the people in power trying to thwart the efforts of the people themselves to pass laws they don't particularly like. And so they're putting in all sorts of roadblocks and stumbling blocks for us to try to get past. We'll take a look at that in Maine and Michigan and also compare it to what's going on in the Democratic primary where Bernie Sanders mopped the floor with Hillary Clinton last night at the Univision debate in Miami, receiving a standing ovation at the uh, end of his concluding remarks. We'll talk all about that as well, and we'll take it into Toker Talk Radio, hour two, where you can call in with your comments suggestions, questions, criticisms at 971-533-7111. But in the rest of this first hour, we've also got a flashback interview to 2010 where I got the chance to speak with longtime political gadfly and hemp enthusiast, friend of Whitley Nelson and plenty of marijuana reformers, Gatewood Galbraith, uh, who passed away not long ago. I did get the chance to speak to him before he passed in 2010, and uh, we'll play that interview for you at half past the hour. Also on the show today, we're going to do some drug war data mining because there's yet another state that is passing. It looks poised to pass one of these drug testing for welfare bills where they require poor people to have to pass a P-test before they can get their benefits. We'll talk about why those are such a huge mistake and what we can do to try to educate people about the reality of these drug testing for welfare bills, how wasteful they are and ineffective. Also on the show and behind the headlines, we're taking a look at an offer by Cush Inc. and its CEO, Steve Cubby, 
of $1 million in Cush stock to help the Marijuana Control Legalization Revenue Act, the act competing with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in California, to legalize the Golden State in 2016. But before we get to all of that, we do the Cannabis Radio News, and in the headlines today, we take a focus on Maine, where those officials are trying to stop the legalization petition gathering that uh, took place for an initiative to legalize. Also, a statute for impaired driving has run into a roadblock in Maine. We've got North Dakota possibly moving forward for legalization. We've got medical users in Canada mad at their premier in Ontario and a judge rejecting a short sentence for an 80-year-old man in a marijuana dealing operation. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email FiredUpLawyer at gmail.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, March 10th, 2016. Backers of an initiative to regulate marijuana like alcohol in Maine filed a lawsuit on Thursday challenging the Secretary of State's decision to disqualify the measure from the November ballot. According to the suit, which is now available online, state officials improperly invalidated thousands of signatures of registered Maine voters and unlawfully denied citizens their constitutional right to vote on the measure. At issue is the validity of one notary's signature at the bottom of 5,099 petitions rejected by elected officials. 
About 17,000 signatures are on those petitions, enough to put the question on the state ballot if the petitions are validated. State elections officials have thrown out the petition, saying the notary's signature doesn't match the signature on file. According to the initiative's backers' lawsuit, the Secretary of State's decision is flawed because the disputed signatures do, in fact, match those on file and because the Secretary of State acted outside his authority in invalidating the petitions. Lawmakers in Maine remain divided over a bill that attempts to establish a blood level limit for police to determine whether a driver is impaired for marijuana use. The legislature's Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee voted 7-4 to Thursday to reject the bill after voicing concerns that setting a legal limit for THC, the psychoactive compounded marijuana, would not be an accurate measurement of impairment because the drug affects people differently and it lingers in the blood long after its psychoactive effects have disappeared. A minority of the committee believes that the state needs to establish testing protocols to ensure that police and prosecutors are equipped to handle what a recent survey by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration found was a marked increase in the proportion of drivers testing positive for marijuana. Backers of a proposed measure to legalize marijuana in North Dakota will start soon gathering signatures to try to put it on the November 8th ballot. Secretary of State Al Jager on Wednesday approved their petition for circulation. Sponsors must gather at least 13,452 signatures of eligible voters by July 11th to put the statutory measure to a statewide vote. Eric Olson of Fargo, who chairs the 26-member sponsoring committee, said supporters will start gathering signatures right away, and he hopes to gather 20,000 for a safe margin. If approved, the measure would make it legal for those over age 21 to grow, possess, use, and distribute marijuana, and would prevent the state from requiring a license to do so. It would also prohibit the state, cities, and counties from taxing marijuana and marijuana paraphernalia at greater than 20%. Medical marijuana users in Canada are hopping mad about Ontario's new province-wide curbs on toking and vaping for medical marijuana. Premier Kathleen Wynne's government is banning the use of cannabis in all enclosed places, workplaces, and most outdoor areas. Quote, We have made a determination that smoking, whatever it is, whether it's vaping, whether it's medical marijuana, whether it's cigarettes, there should be restrictions on that, end quote, Wynne said. She told reporters the government made the right decision and is prepared to defend it if, for example, the ban is challenged in the courts by medical marijuana users, arguing the need for their prescribed pot is no different than any other prescription. Quote, that's a possibility, I suppose, but I think it's pretty commonsensical that if you're not allowed to smoke a cigarette, you shouldn't be allowed to smoke anything else in the places where we have already deemed that smoking cigarettes is not acceptable. End quote. A federal judge has rejected a plea agreement that called for a five to seven year prison sentence for an 80 year old man who ran a multi-state marijuana dealing operation. Marshall Dion was scheduled to be sentenced Thursday in U.S. District Court, but the hearing was canceled after Judge Denise Casper rejected the plea agreement and the joint sentencing recommendation by Dion's lawyers and prosecutors. Casper had postponed the hearing last month after she questioned both sides about why the proposed sentence was so much lower than the 30-year sentence called for under federal sentencing guidelines. Authorities said Dion ran a sprawling marijuana enterprise for decades. When police stopped him for speeding in 2013 in Kansas, they found about $828,000 in cash in his beat-up pickup truck. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, March 10th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. 
the next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the state of California where the major initiative to legalize marijuana is known as the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, sometimes popularly referred to as the Sean Parker Initiative, thanks to the MySpace creator and Facebook investor Sean Parker, who's now donated $1 million of his own money to the measure. It's also gotten a million dollars from Marijuana Policy Project and Drug Policy Alliance combined, and another quarter million dollars, and I can't remember from whom that came from, for a total of $2.25 million already in the bank for this Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Now, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act would legalize one ounce and six plants and all the harvest from your plants and set up a commercial system of growing and sales and uh, forbid cities from banning indoor home grows and what else? Uh, The possibility of pot lounges. It's a pretty decent legalization. Not that unlike what we've got in Washington or California or Washington or Colorado or Oregon or Alaska. In fact, better than Washington because Washington doesn't have home grow. Now, in addition to that uh, initiative, which has all of the major uh, reform organizations supporting it and and big players in the California uh, reform and industry uh, supporting it, there are others Now, the one of recent uh, note that has 
is no longer uh, in play would be the Jack Herrer Initiative, the so-called Jack Herrer Initiative, or CCHI, which has uh, recently admitted it's not going to have the signatures necessary to make the ballot. Newsflash. But the other initiative that's still in play is one called the Marijuana Control Legalization and Revenue Act, the MCLR. I've spoken with John W. Lee, a major proponent of the act, at one of the recent events I covered. I think it was the International Cannabis Business Conference. MCLR is a good act as well and in many ways uh, superior to what the Adult Use of Marijuana Act proposes. The problem for MCLR is its lack of juice. That is, it has no money to really move forward with the paid signature gatherers necessary to make the ballot in the state of California. Well, this is where the story begins here for today's Behind the Headlines, and that is a Facebook post that I noted uh, in my feed from Steve Cubby. Now, Steve Cubby is the CEO of Cush Inc., and uh, purports to live this uh, millionaire lifestyle. I see his posts on Facebook all the time. And he and I have kind of gone rounds because he's one of these stoners against legalization. He is against the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, is spreading all sorts of misinformation about it and how harmful it will be to California and the world. So the Facebook post that I saw noted a Business Wire report that Cush Inc., was donating $1 million to the MCLR initiative. Now, I have to kind of fault myself for not doing enough due diligence on this because I saw the report and my first thought was, oh, well, good. At least he's putting his money where his mouth is. That, you know, and rather than fighting against the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, he's putting money toward MCLR. And I will not fault anybody who is fighting for legalization. If you don't like another person's legalization, fine, fight for your own, promote it, but don't fight against someone else's legalization because any legalization is going to be better than the prohibition we all suffer under at this moment. Fortunately, other colleagues of mine did their due diligence and started to poke some holes in this Cush gives $1 million to MCLR thing. First of all, David Downs is the person I've got to give the, the major hat tip to. Uh, in his Legalization Nation column today, writes, dubious stock pitched as California marijuana legalization campaign donation, our rating, sell. And what this really turns out to be is, uh, according to their release uh, from Cush, they said, the board of directors of Cush, a new player in the medical marijuana field, today authorized the donation of $1 million in Cush stock to Americans for Policy uh, reform in support of their 2016 Marijuana Control Legalization and Revenue Act legalization project. Oh, okay. So it's not a donation of a million dollars. It's a donation of a million dollars in Cush stock. Well, what is that? Well, Cush is a uh, new penny stock, not traded on the uh, the major stock exchanges where you have a lot of consumer protections, but the pink sheets where it's the Wild West and anything goes. A lot of investment experts are saying it has the makings of a so-called pump-and-dump scheme where you tout uh, the value of a worthless stock to bring its price up, and then the investors in that stock, the owners of that stock, sell it while the price is high, leaving the investors with little to nothing. About 6,500 investors so far have bought Cush shares, 
The shares are currently trading at five cents per share. They're shooting for an IPO on 420, of course, at 10 cents a share, and their goal is to sell 50 million shares. So the idea here is that they would have to sell 10 million shares, and then that could be donated to the MCLR. Doug McVeigh of uh, Drug War Facts says, that's a lot of shares of questionable real value that would have to be sold in order to recognize any spendable cash. Yes, and I'd have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. So, yeah, cannabis finance experts and the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission repeatedly have warned investors to stay away from these pot penny stocks. Sounds to me like uh, MCLR just got a whole bunch of donation of unicorn wishes and fairy dust. Too bad. But at least they can vote on legalization through the Adult Use Act. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the stupid and ineffective idea known as drug testing for welfare. 
This, of course, on the heels of news from WSAZ in Charleston, West Virginia, that a bill that would drug test for welfare is on its way to the governor. On Wednesday, the West Virginia House approved this bill 91 to 8. And the Senate yesterday, or today, I believe, approved that amended bill 27 to 7. It's now on its way to the governor for his signature. There are currently 13 states that have legislation requiring some form of drug test for welfare recipients. Supporters of the bill said only those with a reasonable suspicion of drug use would be tested, and it would help locate addicts and get them into treatment centers. Critics have said it hasn't been effective in those states. Well, (laughs) I'm one of those critics, so let me tell you how ineffective it would be. First of all, the supporters telling you that it would only be for those with reasonable suspicion of drug use aren't doing that out of the kindness of their heart. They're doing that because that is what is required for this to pass constitutional muster. The state of Florida passed a bill years ago that required drug testing for all, all people applying for welfare, randomly determined. And the uh, Supreme Court, actually, the uh, I think it was 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, determined that you couldn't do that because random testing for welfare is akin to an unreasonable search and seizure. Because just merely being poor and applying for welfare isn't enough of a probable cause, a reasonable suspicion, I should say, to believe that someone's using drugs. So the latest states that have put these bills together always have some sort of testing or evaluation to manufacture this so-called reasonable suspicion. It usually takes the form of some sort of quiz they have to answer. In one state, it was actually three questions. Have you ever been busted for drugs before? Uh, have you ever you know, uh, uh, been in treatment for drugs? And if you answered yes to any of those, then that was the suspicion they needed to get you to take the drug test. So it's a lot of bunk, first of all, because people can easily lie on these uh, quizzes that they're given. But a look at the states that have implemented these programs have shown that even when they're they're implemented, they do not do what the proponents claim they're going to do. In the state of Utah, they spent $30,000 giving drug tests to welfare recipients. In the time they did so, 2.6% of those tested were found to have used drugs. The national rate, by the way, is 8.9%. They're finding that uh, people, poor people, trying to get assistance were one-third as likely, less than one-third as likely, to have tested positive for drugs than the general workforce. Could that have to do with the fact that drugs cost money? (laughs) That That maybe when you're poor, you can't afford drugs? See, the mistake made by proponents of these bills is to think that people are absolute slaves to drugs. There's no way they can stop taking drugs or to think that it's all completely discretionary. And so they shouldn't spend any of their money on drugs in Arizona. They tried this. They believed that it would save the state $1.7 million a year. But after three years and 87,000 screenings, they found one person who failed a drug test one in the state of Arizona, the total savings from denying that person benefits was 560 bucks. The total they paid out during that time was $200 million. So even if you included the 1,633 people who didn't 
do the pretest because what happens sometimes when there's that quiz or the threat of drug test, people just don't apply. Even if you included all those people, you're saving 0.1% of what you uh, needed to save. Similarly, in Oklahoma, when they tried this, uh, they had only 29 drug test failures. Uh, they didn't keep track of how much money they saved from those 29 people that they didn't. And remember, when you talk about saving money on welfare, you're talking about not giving assistance to poor people, right? Yeah, we didn't give those 29 people any money to eat or pay rent. And um, the fees it cost to not do that, the drug testing fees were $74,000. It cost us $74,000 to not help out poor people. Florida. Florida's uh, plan, the one that I told you was found to be unconstitutional, they, again, only had 2.6% of their people turning up uh, positive, and they lost $45,000 net once they figured out all the costs. But the thing that's more insidious about this is the Florida case, the governor, Rick Scott, owned $62 million worth of Sultanic Corporation which is one of these places that does confidential drug testing. Of course, he shifted his stock over to his wife three months before passing these drug testing uh, for welfare laws. But you can see the rent-seeking behavior in that kind of uh, action, trying to uh, mandate some more clients for the business that he owns. We've had at least 29 states that have proposed legislation requiring some sort of drug testing for welfare. No state has ever shown that this has saved more money than it costs to implement. So why do they keep doing it? It's bigotry, folks. It's a way of punishing the poor. It's a way of controlling poor people. It's a way of expressing a moral displeasure in their drug use. It's the same kind of attitude that says, well, they shouldn't be able to buy Lucky Charms on their food stamps either. Look, our people are either free or they're not free. Whether or not our government gives them assistance does not give us the right to treat them as chattel slavers. All right, when we come back, we've got a flashback interview with the legendary Gatewood Galbraith right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high too. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. 
Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life. Conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. Today in the Cannabis Community Chat, we go back six years to 2010 when I got the opportunity to speak to legendary hemp advocate Gatewood Galbraith. He died at the age of 64 on January 4th, 2012. He was born in Carlisle, Kentucky, and a former Marine and graduate of the University of Kentucky and the University of Kentucky's College of Law. He was an author and worked tirelessly for the people of Kentucky. He was well known for his uh, activities running for governor of Kentucky and generating a lot of headlines for being a marijuana-positive and hemp-positive activist long before it was popular to do so. He was widely popular for his wit and his unconventional stances. He was almost completely outside of the establishment politics of the Democratic and Republican parties, he had five unsuccessful runs for governor, also made a failed bid for agricultural commissioner, U.S. representative, and attorney general. He also worked as a criminal defense attorney and quipped that losing statewide elections doesn't pay worth a damn. <laughs> Gatewood was uh, known for his outspoken proposals to legalize marijuana and to outlaw mountaintop removal coal mining. He was uh, one of the most colorful individuals I've known in Kentucky politics all my life, said Terry McBrayer, a lawyer, lobbyist, and longtime friend of Gatewood's. And, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier, he's a, a longtime friend of Willie Nelson's as well, named synonymous with hemp legalization. And he spent most of his time of his childhood in Kentucky in Lex Lexington, Kentucky. He had all sorts of great quips. You'll hear a couple of them in this 2010 interview, some quick uh, lines that he would often use on the stump talking about hemp and marijuana and the need for legalization. He was uh, particularly uh, held, held some uh, contempt for Republicans. He recently called former uh, House Speaker Newt Gingrich and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, aliens, not conservatives. They never met a bloated police state they didn't like. The Lexington Mayor Jim Gray said, Gatewood gave us political passion and conviction, colorful and unforgettable character. His point of view, unvarnished, unfiltered, with the best wit and humor we could ever imagine. Let's go back now to 2010. My chance to speak with Gatewood Galbraith in Kentucky on the issues of marijuana and hemp legalization from a previous episode of the Normal Daily Audio Stash. Thanks to Normal for legalization, decriminalization, lowest law enforcement priority, medical marijuana, 
ganja sacrament, consumer cannabis, industrial hemp. The world of marijuana law reform involves many different aspects of cannabis that interact nearly every public policy discussion in America, including health care, the economy, global climate change, law enforcement in prisons, immigration, religion, free speech, energy policy, and war. Now, we take a look at how re-legalizing marijuana will change the world in our normal show live, Cannabis Conversations. All right, thanks for staying with us for this extended version of Normal Show Live. Joining us by telephone, I hope, is Gatewood Galbraith. Gatewood, are you there, sir? Yes, sir, I am. Glad to have you. And also, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. We've also, I'm thinking, Michael Henning and Diana Alder. Are you available on the line as well? Oh, okay. Maybe they're not Hello. hearing us, but Gateway, we'll go ahead with you here. We've, uh, we're talking about the movie Hempsters Plant the Seed. And, uh, this is a documentary been in the making for a while and you're featured uh, prominently in it. Tell us about the documentary and what we're uh, trying to accomplish here. Well, I'm from Kentucky and have been, uh, uh, politically involved in trying to get the laws changed there for some time. And given Kentucky's history and heritage as the world's largest cannabis producer for over a hundred years, uh, we thought it would be a good place to, to start the battle. And, uh, in 1990, early 90s, uh, Woody Harrelson came to Kentucky to plant some hemp seeds to challenge the law. And, uh, his escapade was, uh, filmed by Michael Henning and, uh, the, the folks that were with his group. And, uh, as they were there, they began archiving, uh, interviews with other, uh, uh activists in, in the realm of, uh, changing the marijuana laws. And so they got to Woody, they got to Willie Nelson, they got to Mo Haggard, they got Julia Butterfly Hill, and then uh, they got me. And so they put this together. They followed the higher efforts over many years, and they put this together in a film that uh, examined the entire concept of changing the laws uh, over about a uh, 16 to 18-year period of time. And it's been updated, and it's been uh, contemporized, and it's having its world premiere at the uh, Artivist uh, the film festival here on, on Hollywood Boulevard in, uh, in Hollywood, and it uh, shows tonight at nine fifteen. And uh, it, it's a great film. It's, uh, it captures a lot of stuff that should have been archived and is dutifully done. And uh, it's, it's an interesting film, and it's going to get worldwide distribution after this film festival. Mm, that's excellent, and uh, we love seeing more stuff. You know, one of our uh, contributors is a vendor who who does a lot of vending of hemp products, and of course, he has to get all these products from China or Canada or Australia, all these other countries. And he, when we started mentioning that we're going to have you on the show and we're going to be talking about hemp, he was very, very excited about that. Uh, what are some things about uh, hemp legalization here that you find are, are are most troubling? What are some of the roadblocks we need to get past in order to legalize industrial? hemp? Well, I've kind of taken a look at it from a, a little different perspective than a lot of folks. Uh, I was the, the first hippie, I guess, to write a plan for legal marijuana for its economic benefits. I wrote that in 1976 and, and talked about uh, recovering the economy and especially the depressed economy of Kentucky, uh, rediscovering uh, its history and its heritage and rediscovering cannabis uh, crop uh, in, in all of its aspects, both the uh, industrial textile and the, the medical smoking part of it. And uh, so, but what I'm taking a look at, and what really motivates me is the fact that uh, by their illegalization of this plant, uh, the, the people in charge, the man, has severed our relationship with the natural cycle of things. But they have taken upon themselves telling you that you can't plant a seed in God's earth. I don't care if it's a widget. <laughs> Much less marijuana, if they tell you you can't plant a seed in God's green earth, 
what they're doing is severing the most basic relationship we have in this birth test cycle with our with our uh, nature and with with Mother Earth. So I just don't. I think in order to do that, that the government have to have extraordinarily persuasive information that by planting that seed that you're harming yourself or other people. And not only do they have extraordinary information, they don't have one iota of information that says planting the seed is going to act to the detriment of the, of the human individual. And in the United States of America, not a true patriot and, and a, a nationalist, uh, you know, it, it, we ought to have much more freedom than to be able to be self-determinative and sovereign human beings to be able to plant seed in the earth and then the green natural plant that comes up out of it. So uh, hemp and cannabis became iconic uh, on the, the turnaround from America as the home of the brave and land of the free over to uh, over to a, a depressed, controlled economy and controlled population. Mm-hmm. And so uh, given the history of heritage of Kentucky as a leadership in uh, I thought it was uh, important that uh, it, the, the, the challenge to this fascism, the challenge to this tyranny come from, uh, come from a... a uh, a state like Kentucky, and so uh, since someone else was doing it, I kind of stepped up and uh, took the leadership role on that. Um, I wanted to thank uh, Rick Kuzik. I want to thank uh, uh, all the, the, the heroes that have gone before us in, in, in what they're trying to do. Jack Hare became a real dear friend of mine, and I delivered his eulogy uh, at his funeral. And uh, so uh, I want to pay tribute to uh, to all the activists out there. And this film, The Hempsters, is a tribute, in fact, to many folks that we're going to dedicate it to Jack Ayer tonight at the premiere in the Hollywood Boulevard. Mm, that's excellent. This is at the Artivist Film Festival taking place Hollywood Boulevard, 9.15 p.m. Pacific time. We're speaking with Gatewood Galbraith, a, a longtime hemp activist and, of course, a former candidate for governor in uh, Kentucky. Uh, you I'm meant... A, you a candidate meant, now, my friend. Uh, still, oh, you're, you're I'm, running I'm again. Running for governor. Oh, excuse yes, me. I'm running as an independent in November. Oh, I've run before. Uh, I'm running as an independent candidate in 2011, and it looks just absolutely excellent. We had the chance to put Kentucky at the forefront and to uh, to break a lot of new ground. If I get to be governor, the whole ball game changes. Absolutely, uh, we're going to ground at one. Going to ground at one of the helicopters hovering over the fields and gardens of the people of the state of Kentucky. This is America, not Afghanistan, and we're not an occupied territory, and we're not going to treat our citizens like we are one. You know, our fathers and grandfathers didn't fight on the beaches of Dormandy and Iwo Jima, so you have to pee and cut the old job in America. <laughs> That's right. We're going to try to lift Kentucky, to try to lift Kentucky out of, into prosperity by rediscovering the principles that made America great, to the sovereignty of the individual, self-determination, and rights to privacy, which have been absolutely decimated in this war on the people and the guys of the war on drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Well spoken, sir. Uh, you mentioned how the, the government is, you know, the man is, is keeping us down by, you know, breaking our bond with the most sacred thing we can do, plant a seed, something that connects us to the earth. And you say they should have to de- de- demonstrate, you know, a great harm in order to, to have that power. And, uh, in that respect, with, with that in mind, uh, do you see that Cannabis as a recreational substance or as a drug, so-called drug, impedes the fight for uh, legalizing industrial hemp because the man can say, well, there's a harm from the drug. Do you, do you see that? That's what this whole film is about, my friend. Hempsters uh, plant to see. I wrote a book called uh, The Last Free Man in America Meets the Synthetic Subversion. And uh, what I say today is it's a big battle between the natural cycle and the synthetic cycle. All the kinds of commodities of civilization, uh, fiber, fuel, medicine, and food that used to be produced by the farmer from the land has now been taken over by the synthetic manufacturers, and they did that by outlawing the farmer and criminalizing the farmer in the production of their natural products. 
So there's a great number of people out there who run synthetic products that are attempting to keep it from changing, the laws from changing back. I call them the uh, the petrochemical, pharmaceutical, military, industrial, transnational, corporate fascist elite son of a bitches um, who have... Uh, who see the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as impediments. Are you getting that distracted noise, too? Oh, I, I, I'm sorry about that. We've got it. Hold on. There you go. That's no longer there. Okay, right. go ahead. Are we okay? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are setting policy in this country, the United States of America, right now, uh, who have never said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America or to the republic for which it stands. They're not warm and fuzzy about us or our children, and they see the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as impediments to the implementation of a new world order and global economy. And as I say, I call them the petrochemical, pharmaceutical, military, industrial, transnational, corporate fascists to meet some of the bitches, uh, you know, who, uh, who have taken the, the, the cannabis plant, which is the most productive and the most valuable plant ever domesticated by man. It's not the answer to all the world's problems, but it sure is iconic in that it's the answer to more than any other plant is. And uh, so they have, uh, they are dead set against uh, the people reclaiming this plan as a heritage and as a uh, tool to, to make life a little better for everybody. So um, I think that they're going to sell everything, including the kitchen sink, as to try to keep us from making the change in these laws. But I favor what my friend Mark Henry says, and his slogan is overgrow the government. And uh, I think that, uh, I think that the critical mass has been reached in that. And I think that the laws are going to change, but what we must do is keep it in the hands of the people who are putting the market together right now. I have put the market together and keep it out of the hands of corporate America. Oh, they're, right. they're up to no good, and, and we ought not let them have it. Absolutely. Uh, the movie is Hempsters Plant the Seed. It's at the Artivist Film Festival tonight, Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, California, 9.15 p.m. And Gatewood Galbraith, you're running for governor of Kentucky. How can people help you in the uh, fight to claim that office? Thank you so much, my friend. I've run before. I've run before, but this time the dissatisfaction is so broad and deep that a lot of people want to vote for change that never did before. They can go to gatewood.com, gatewood.com, see what it's all about, and I'll give you the world's shortest political speech. If I was going to lie to you, I'd already been elected governor. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gatewood Galbraith, and good luck. And- that just an amazing time speaking with Gatewood Galbraith there on Normal Show Live back in 2010. He passed away in 2012. I can only imagine his take on this 2016 election with Donald Trump and the rest of the clown car. Oh, my goodness. We could use some more people like Gatewood Galbraith, couldn't we? If you've not seen that movie, I do believe it's available on Netflix now. It's called Hempsters Plant the Seed. Check it out. A lot of great pieces and a lot of appearances in that uh, film worthy of a download all right when we come back we take a look at how our government is suppressing the will of the people in maine michigan and nationwide right after this this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. But you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. 
You have to be high to do anything. <laughs> At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Earn your PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today in the rant, I want to focus on how the wheels of power, how the establishment system works to prevent us, the people, from expressing our will through petitions and at the ballot box. A couple of stories that fit this in the marijuana narrative. Uh, The first one, of course, was our headline story today in the Cannabis Radio News about the lawsuit that is now necessary by the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol in Maine. See, they got over almost 100,000 signatures. They turned in 99,000 229 signatures for their marijuana legalization initiative and they needed 61,000. So that's pretty good. You know, that's about over a, uh, it's about a, you know, a 60% validity rate you'd need. Let's see a hundred thousand to 61. You need 62% validity out of those 99,000 signatures. And that's not unheard of. You get paid signature gatherers. You're going to get 65% usually is good to uh, aim for. But they only got credit for 51,000 signatures. They're 10,000 signatures short. And part of the signatures that were disqualified, because there's always some that are disqualified, but a big chunk of the signatures that were disqualified were 17,000 signatures. There was 5,099 petitioners uh, petitions and signed by a notary named Stavros Mendros. And he has a company in... Uh, Lewiston, Maine, called Olympic Consulting. They were hired by the campaign to gather signatures, and they were paid $26,930 for that signature gathering. So 17,000 people who signed 5,099 petition pages, 17,000 signatures invalidated because this one guy who notarizes the bottom of each petition that these were gathered... His signature apparently doesn't match the signature at the Secretary of State's office. Now, this is not a question as to whether or not 
the 17,000 people who signed were valid signers. That's not even in question right now. As far as we know, and as far as we should assume, the 17,000 people that signed those petitions are valid. And even even if we apply a a two-thirds validity rate, let's assume that only two-thirds of those 17,000 signatures are valid, there's still enough of them there to be able to push this over the limit and get it on the ballot. So it just reeks of shenanigans from the main Secretary of State's office trying to disqualify 17,000 signatures based on one person's signature. Furthermore, the uh, campaign in their lawsuit alleges that the signatures are matching, that the Secretary of State's office doesn't have handwriting experts to determine whether or not this is true. And, and this brings up something that I think is problematic in our system. A lot of states that have the initiative process have this thing where the petitioner has to sign as well. And that's where sometimes these petitions get tripped up. Why not have the petition gatherer or the notary or whoever it is that has to approve the petitions give a thumbprint? You know, not a thumbprint for everybody that's signing to sign the petition, right? Not, you know, that'd be way too many. Th- but the one person approving it, a thumbprint, there's something that we can scientifically verify. Regardless, this reeks of shenanigans from the state of Maine, just trying everything they can do to disqualify enough signatures to postpone the inevitable legalization of marijuana in Maine. There's another state, Michigan, where there's some shenanigans going on. Currently in Michigan, there's, I believe, two groups still in the running that are uh, proposing legalization petitions legalization initiatives that are funded and and have a decent shot of doing this. But again, the legislature in this case, rather than the secretary of state's office, the legislature in Michigan has worked to pass a bill to make it tougher to get initiatives on the ballot. It's passed on a party line vote, Republicans in Michigan requiring and it's kind of it's it's an it's an obscure thing. So let me see if I can explain this. In Michigan, when you collect signatures, you have a 180 day window to collect signatures. So you have the six month window, 180 days to collect signatures. Now, your opponents, your people that hate legalization, can challenge some of those signatures by saying, "Ah, those weren't collected during that 180 day window." And thereby disqualify those particular signatures. But you, as the proponent, have the right to challenge the challenge, right? So if they challenge that, oh, that you collected them too late, you can say, no, we didn't. And here's the proof. And you can challenge it, take it back and get your signatures back, right? Well, the bill that just passed, 26 to 10 vote, Republicans in favor, Democrats opposing, removes the ability to challenge the exclusion of petition signatures. The Senate Majority Leader said uh, the bill just ensures that, quote, everybody will play by the same rules, not by some administrative interpretation. We want to be clear, 180 days with no ambiguity, end quote. 
But uh, state Democrat uh, Steve Bita says, once again, the majority is making it more difficult for the citizens to be heard. Let's be honest here. The bill isn't intended to clarify election law. Stand up for the people who you represent. It's time to make it easier, not harder, for issues to reach the ballot, end quote. And that's the crux of this issue. Why do we allow our government to pass laws to continually make it tougher to vote or get initiatives on the ballot. It's it's bad enough that there are 24 states that have no form of citizen-directed lawmaking. They've got no referendums, no amendments, no initiatives, nothing. They got to just go with what their elected officials put together. That's bad enough. But in the states that do have these initiative processes, why do we allow these officials to further restrict these initiative processes? It's already tough to get something on the ballot in Michigan. You need a quarter million signatures for legislation. You need over 315,000 signatures for an amendment. That's not an easy task. Now, the opponents of this, the, the, the people who say we need these restrictions, will point to big money interests. Oh, big money interests can buy signature gatherers and get anything they want on the ballot. And then they can put out the ads and get it passed. Well, if they can, then they should be able to. This is the only method by which the people have some means of being able to directly affect their lives, affect their democracy. These so-called big money special interests are just interests. All interests have to have big money in order to play in our politics. I wish it wasn't that way. But if that's the way the game is played, you can't change the game once the people, once the marijuana legalizers have figured out how to get enough money together to put together an initiative. Can't change the rules in the middle of the game. It's almost as if they thought, well, you know, as long as they have to have these hundred thousands of signatures, it's going to cost so much money, they'll never be able to put anything together. And now that we have... Now that we have legalized some states, we have shown that, yes, we can organize and get the money necessary and get the donations necessary to pull this off. Now that we do have that power, there's, oh, oh, well, now now we need to put some more roadblocks in the way. Now we need some higher hurdles, some flaming hoops to jump through. This method of disqualifying initiative signatures needs to be tracking in the other direction. We need to be like the Democratic representative in Michigan said. We need to be finding ways to make it easier for people to vote on these things, easier for people to get stuff on the ballot, not harder. Now, I know some people will complain that this is supposed to be a republic, not a democracy, and will complain that these firewalls need to be put in place to protect our republic from mob rule. And I say to the people who say mob rule, mob rule is just the elite's preferred term for populist and popular democracy. This is extending into the Democratic race for president as well. When we come back, top of the hour, we'll talk a little bit about Bernie Sanders and the Democratic race, how that delegate count is going despite Bernie's recent surging. Also, we'll talk a little bit more about California legalization, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, this Marijuana Control Legalization and Revenue Act, MCLR. 
and the uh, so-called cubby donation. <laughs> we'll take your calls, too, at 971-533-7111. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ, live from Astoria, Oregon. We'll be back for Hour 2 in just a couple of minutes. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. How is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, tokers and tokens and non-token lovers of liberty. Radical Rust coming to you live from beautiful Astoria, Oregon, home of the Goonies. Never say die. Our phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. That number once again, 971-533-7111. I want to talk a little bit uh, more about the rant and how our elected officials and our our government, our systems are designed and are further being pushed to thwart any sort of popular reform, any sort of popular mass movement of the people. And I believe a lot of this has to do with the Internet mobilizing us and getting us all on the same page. Well, not on the same page, but those of us who are on the same page, giving us a way to communicate with each other and, and to mobilize and to organize. And 
it's having an effect on the corridors of power. That and the ability of the internet to expose secrets and to uh, spread the word when we do catch these officials engaged in shenanigans. And so one example of this is the current Democratic race for president. And before I get into some of that, I did want to make a note that my piece on why I will never vote for Hillary Clinton because I don't vote for Republicans has now gotten over 71,000 shares. It's one of the most read pieces I've ever written. I'm really stunned by it. So much so that it got a response piece in The Guardian in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, I actually got a response piece written about it that quotes me extensively in The Guardian UK. And the gist of the piece, and it's uh, the gist of criticism I've heard before, is that it's a very white privilege thing to be able to say you're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton if she's the nominee against Donald Trump. Now, I get this all the time, right? Oh, must be nice. You won't have to suffer from the terrible, terrible apocalypse that a Trump presidency will be. And of course, I've got two stock answers to it. Number one is if you're going to accuse me of having some sort of privilege, please Tell me where I pick up my white privilege checks, man, because (laughs) I'm homeless. I got no health care. I got no retirement, right? I'm living on the edge just like a whole lot of people. So if if the argument is that it's going to trash the economy in some sort of terrible way, it's going to take me down before it takes a lot of you down. But the other argument would be, oh, the rights of minorities and Trump's rallies being violent and all these people are racist and misogynistic and xenophobic and Islamophobic and homophobic and who knows, acrophobic as far as I know. But that that will be the terrible result, that we'll have some sort of Nazi fascism in America. I, I don't see that happening either. You know, they always have that rule about uh, Godwin's law, the first person on the internet. Given any any chat discussion, the chances that someone will mention hit Hitler approach one, you know, approach certainty the longer the chat goes on. And that's what I think we're at at the, at the Trump stage here. People making all these Hitler comparisons and how it's like brown shirts and how all this violence is going on at the rallies and the kicking out black people and you're not going to let any Muslims in the country and so forth. I don't buy it for a second. I think he's trolling. I really do. And I think I think part of that is being used by establishment officials. In a sense, it's almost like, you know, let's put Trump up to be so offensive and so terrible that people will have to accept Hillary Clinton. And sorry, I don't. Besides, after Michigan and this most recent debate, I wouldn't count Bernie Sanders out of this for winning the nomination himself. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush, our strains stretch everywhere too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs Grow. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. And I want to continue this discussion about democracy in this country and and how the popular will of the people gets thwarted in all these little ways. And, And I think that's important because that's what leads to so much of people being politically disaffected, people not wanting to vote. How many times you've been out there trying to gather signatures for a legalization campaign and heard people, you know, asking if they're registered to vote. Oh, I'm not registered to vote. I don't vote. It doesn't matter. They'll do what they want anyway. Doesn't matter what I do. It's all fixed. It's all rigged, right? You hear that a lot. And unfortunately, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You know, if uh, you believe it's rigged and your vote doesn't matter, so you don't vote, well, then you're right. Your vote doesn't matter because they don't need you anymore. They've narrowed the pool down to a smaller group of people who will actually decide things. And part of what leads to this demoralization of the voters are the the constructs of our democracy. That a lot of them are holdovers from a, a, an earlier era with you know the, with less education, with no internet. And I don't think these things, I think they're anachronisms that we don't need in our society anymore. One of them would be the Electoral College. The Electoral College was originally put together by the white landowning, some slave-owning males who put this country together, who said all men are created equal except for the black ones that are only 60% of a man. 
These guys originally instituted voting was only for white landowners, males, and they the Senate was chosen by the state legislators. We weren't popularly electing senators. And an electoral college was created as a as a compromise between the the people who were worried of the popular vote would give the South too much power, but a state by state vote would give the North too much power. And so we come up with this compromise that gives one vote to, to the states for each senator and representative. So you get your two votes for your senator and you get your however many votes proportionally representing your uh, uh, congressman. Right. So you get this electoral college. Now, the problem with the electoral college is that it renders the popular vote meaningless People can win the election even without the popular votes. Happened a couple of times, George W. Bush being one of the most recent. And it creates a a national election, which is really only an election in five or six states. I lived in Idaho most of my life. So it didn't matter who I voted for. Whether I went out and voted for president didn't mean squat. Because no matter who I voted for, everybody was going to vote for the Republican. The Republican was going to win Idaho. It doesn't matter who the Republican is. The Republican's going to win Idaho. So the Democrat and the Republican that are in whatever contest, whichever year, don't even bother to go to Idaho much to campaign or talk to people. What's the point? We already know how that one's turning out. Similarly, the Democrat's going to win Massachusetts. It's just already ordained. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican living in Massachusetts. Your vote for Trump or whoever isn't going to matter. The only votes that really end up mattering in, are in these so-called swing states, Joe, event center. And what's interesting about this is they just had this cannabis cup in San Bernardino last weekend of January, first weekend of February. It was the first Southern or Southern California Cannabis Cup that was a two-weekend event. And so they've already done this three months ago. But the way they're getting around it is they're saying that that one was the Southern California Cannabis Cup. This one will be the U.S. Cannabis Cup. So it's going to be a U.S. Cannabis Cup in San Bernardino. But in Colorado, there will still be a Colorado Cannabis Cup competition, but not an event. So there's not going to be any tents, any place to go to see vendors and an expo and all of that. But they already had all of these growers who grew their their strains and made their extracts and their edibles and submitted them to high times for a Colorado Cannabis Cup. <laughs> They're kind of bummed. There's not going to be an event. So they're still going to go forward with the judging of the Colorado samples. And they're still going to go forward with an announcement of the winners on April 19th at the First Bank Center in Broomfield, Colorado. They've got a concert already scheduled with Cypress Hill, Action Bronson, Chronix, and Parliament Funkadelic. That's going to be a pretty good show. I'd like to be at that show. April 19th there in Broomfield, Colorado. So those of you growers and edible makers and extract artists who've already entered the Cannabis Cup, they're still going to be judging and there's still going to be a celebration and an announcement at that concert. There's just not going to be an actual Cannabis Cup event. That's going to be in San Bernardino. 
So <laughs> we can't have a cannabis cup in Denver. We can't have a cannabis cup in Portland. We can't have a cannabis cup in Seattle. But we can have multiple cannabis cups in San Bernardino where marijuana is not even legal. It's medical cannabis cup, right? Isn't that crazy? That doesn't, doesn't that just blow your mind? Here's another story that'll blow your mind. In Texas, a north, a small North Texas town. In uh, what is this the town? Uh, Gunter, Gunter, Texas. This small North Texas town is going to be uh, hosting a. Uh, it's going to be the site of a cannabis oil, a cannabidiol oil dispensary that they're going to be putting together. You know, Texas is one of these states that has signed a law for cannabidiol oil, and that's going to be a part of uh, this law is they're going to set up this uh, dispensary out in this small Texas town. And, you know, we're talking about the non-psychoactive CBD oil in this case. And it's remarkable as you go through the comment section, finding people that are upset about this, this doesn't belong in our town. And one lady in the comments keeps going back to, uh, well, it's an illegal drug. That's just it's an illegal drug. It's not (laughs) not in Texas. They've legalized CBD oil. It's not an illegal drug. And and there is actually one really good comment on the piece uh, from a gentleman who points out that, look, in Texas, people can walk around with guns on their hips and drive at the age of 14. (laughs) Are we really worried about a CBD oil dispensary? It's uh, it's more reefer madness run amok. All right, let's go to our phone lines at 971-533-7111. We've got a caller on the line from the 650 area code. You're on the air with Toker Talk Radio. What's on your mind? Oh, hey, uh, Russ. This is uh, Kevin Saunders from Coast Ram calling in, and uh, I was going to want to talk to you about the MCLR Steve Cubby donation. Yeah, what do you, what do you think of that? I mean, I, I posted, you know, look, I'm always for anybody donating to try to legalize marijuana and keep me out of a cell, but... Lately, a lot of people have been responding to this and saying it kind of sounds like a penny stock scam. So what's your take on this? You know, I'll tell you, I, I, the way I really feel about it, first as I start, start with, I always consider the source. And when you look at Steve Cubby's record, you know, his involvement in Prop 215, city council candidate, started four companies. He's a legend in most people's estimation. He's got an incredible team put together of John Lee and um, Kimmy Kendricks and uh, an SE attorney, uh, local attorney, uh, you know, it just, he's also had cancer. He's been in remission for three and a half years. You know, it, 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 to me, it, the three basics of any company that I would invest in would be one, does it have intellectual property? It does. Second, does it have accomplished leadership? I believe that it does. And second, and the third would be, could it expand and save lives of our fellow human beings? Those are the three components along with the Porter, Porter's five forces that I really believe, especially with John Lee and, 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 uh, um, <clears throat> of MCLR, you know, such a good man and such a history of, 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 of being as a business consultant, as a brainchild behind MCLR, you know, I, I understand penny stocks, Russ. I mean, I, I mean, David Downs article. I mean, I, I believe David, I trust David and 99.99% of the things he does, but I think he's all wet on this one. I think, I think he really missed the boat when he missed, when he didn't mention basically the legend of Steve Cubby. He, he hasn't mentioned that yes, penny stocks might be that 
that way, but, but we're talking about an entirely different paradigm with marijuana. And so much money's coming in with Arcview Group. So much money's coming in through private investment that you and I have seen with our own eyes. And I think that's just, it's, it's a game changer. It already has SEC cert on it. I mean, it hasn't gone uh, through the entire process. And yes, there could be uh, hang-ups and, and slow-ups. But when you look at his revolutionary the extraction process and the fact that, you know, he's applied for patents, you know, he's, it, nutraceuticals are, are a, uh, a burgeoning industry, not with a lot of oversight, but, but if it's within the realm of the mar- medical marijuana industry, he's going to have so many eyes on him. And I just don't think a man that has cancer, has had cancer in remission with that incredible amount of team would, would risk doing this to our community at such a critical time when we're facing essentially the big pot takeover of, of California. And if you go to these events, and I know that you believe in local politics, Russ, I know, I know your heart's in the right place. And, and, and I'd follow you into war. I'd follow you into battle. I just, and I'm almost there with you on this. And, and if MCLR isn't going to make it, I'll be right there, right next to you with, with the OMA. There's no way I'm going to align myself with Kevin Sabbath. There's no way I'm going to align myself with, with any of those I'm not going to align myself with any of those um, entities, sheriff's department, uh, DAs, but but we have this one final chance with MCLR and to to sell that stock, whether whether you do overseas or not, uh, is is going to be uh, uh, an easy task to do, and it could easily translate not to fifty thousand dollars, not in this industry with medical marijuana. I believe it would translate it enough to get signatures signature gatherers on the ground. I believe that we really need to um, listen to Steve, and I think that we need to uh, cut him some slack on this one, and and I'm curious to hear your opinion. Okay. Well, uh, first thing is the, um, you know, I've had John Lee on the show. I've had Kimmy Kendricks on the show. I'm not against legalizing marijuana. I'm all for, you know, MCLR. If you can get on the ballot, you know, I'll be one of the first guys promoting it and, and shouting it from the rooftops where the, the, I'm not a finance guru. Once you start putting commas and percent signs around uh, numbers, it throws me a little bit. But the thing to me was the, the touting of, you know, a big headline. We're donating a million dollars to MCLR. When no, you're not. You're not donating a million dollars. You're donating a whole bunch of stock that you think someday might be worth a million dollars, but right now trades at five cents a share. And if he's got the money, give the money to MCLR. And if you're going to say, I'm going to, you know, I'd I'd be a lot better to see a headline that says Steve Cubby gives $50,000 to MCLR than Steve Cubby gives a million. And then this backtracking of, well, it's not really a million. It's if you buy into my company, maybe. If it profits, then you'll get some money. And since we're talking about an initiative that requires some signatures in a relatively short time, his IPO doesn't even drop until April 20th, right? 420. So we're already, you know, losing what, uh, five weeks of signature gathering time between then and now where there's no funding for MCLR. And then even if it does break in the IPO and he makes a whole bunch of money, that stock has to be converted into the money. The money has to hire signature gathers. I don't know. It just, it just seems. You know, if you want to give money to MCLR, give money to MCLR. Don't try to hype your company on the back of legalization. You know, you make some, some good points. And, and, and if that ends up being the case, I would be the first person uh, <clears throat> standing with you to, you know, to, to call the people that did this out. I just personally, at this point, 
don't believe that. I'm not a, an expert uh, uh, tax or litigation or you know equities uh, securities attorney, but I do feel that this could spur in 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 a in a macro sense some sort of other investment. I, I believe that at this point, including any form of civil disobedience, including any form of uh, investment to to, get, to gain publicity for MCLR at this absolutely critical moment. I mean, I, I will say it, and I will say it again, it is very much reminiscent to me of Bernie Sanders and, and Hillary Clinton. If MCLR, if I could say, could be Bernie, then OMA is Hillary. What people really want is MCLR, and you have an incredible amount of resources, an incredible amount of money going towards OMA, and quite frankly, almost feels like an infomercial when you go to some of these really good, amazing events. I won't name them by name. And they have these high-powered attorneys who I b- believe in, would, would hire myself. And I don't want to use the word shill word, but, but they don't present it with any sort of debate or any sort of opposition. And again, it feels more like a coronation than mm. it feels a, a debate. And like, that was why I had a problem with what Tim Blake did at that moment at the Emerald Cup. And that is why I decided at that moment to speak up, whether some people view it as a tantrum. I don't. I think it, 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 we needed at some point a counterbalance to, to that opinion. And I also thought it was dirty pool politically. And, and you know, and I apologize. Oh, yeah. I don't apologize for being more a political guy. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about policy, and this is where policy and policy intersect. And right, I think that's and, you've, and you've, given, you've given a good defense of this, and I, I agree that there needs to be more discussion and debate. I don't like shutting down voices. I always believe the solution to speech sure. is more speech. Um, but let me go back to your analogy of Hillary and Bernie being uh, Alma and MCLR. In order for that analogy to work, MCLR needs to have – hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of small donations. Bernie is shattering fundraising records compared to Hillary right now based on $27 donations from average people. If every toker out there, like you said, is really preferring MCLR to uh, Alma, then they need to be taking a dime bag's worth of money and throwing it at MCLR, and I just don't see that happening. So I, I don't... Well if, well, if that was the case, if that was the, if that was the case, Russ, and I agree with you, then we would have had CCHI two, four, six years ago, and I, and I say that der- uh, derisively because, in my opinion, and, and you said it best, MCLR, or CPHI is, for all intents and purposes, over. I mean, Buddy, Buddy Doozy came out and said it's yeah. over, and I have been very, very vocal in why CCHI is choosing to play Ralph Nader in this scenario, not merging with MCLR, strengthening MCLR like a, like a, like a coming, coming avalanche, and when you have these donations from Steve Covey, in whatever form they are. And you have people like John Lee, Dave Hodges, Jennifer Nicoletta, Kaplan Nicoletto, and these really strong voices that come for MCLR, Granddaddy Mike and his appeal during his own uh, 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 achievement award that he got. And, and then you have these really passionate voices saying, stop the presses, something's going on here. And I'm one of the few people that's saying, we need to fall in line if MCLR doesn't make it. By hook or by crook, if it does not make it, then we need to fall in line because I will not, and, and, and I have to credit you. I have to credit you. I really do. I have to give you credit because probably if it wasn't for you and your voice, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at right now in my thinking. I cannot go into that voting booth. And your point's exactly. I mean, all this progress in Colorado, 
all this progress in Washington, in your home state of Oregon, all these jobs, all these guys being able to pay their rent and their mortgages and all that and raise their families wouldn't be happening if it wouldn't have been legalized. And your points are good about where would we be now with Prop 19, you know, that all the, the little problems, the little minutia would have been fixed through legislative. And, and, and you make a good point, whereas I, I am holding out for this maybe grandiose vision, but I won't. I will not support OMA in that I will not be vociferous in my praise, but I will not vote against it. Because yeah. Standing in there and voting against it is voting with, and you saw it, yeah. you're talking about strange bedfellows, you're talking about a DA association, a police justice association, Kevin Sabat, and, and that latest guy that got up there in that video, the, the older guy. I mean, this is talk that we haven't heard since, Jesus, before 80, I mean, you should have seen uh, uh, Ethan Nadelman. He couldn't believe the guy that they brought up. He was bringing up things about pot that he hadn't even heard for years. This guy yeah. was against medical marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't align myself with those guys, Russ. So and I it's really, not like MCLR I, is is a wild proposal. It's a pretty well thought out proposal, more liberal than the uh, the Alma Act for sure. But it's not like what we see out of Missouri, where they're proposing you know unlimited, you know no age limit, toking and driving is legal. So the, where I get disappointed is you know when you when you say that this is the one the people really want, I keep thinking if they did, they'd throw hundred bucks at it when when uh, matt cuman stood up in that thing and said look you, all you medical people made a ton of bucks on this for the last 20 years anybody here want to write a thousand dollar check and nobody wants to write a thousand dollar check i mean we need to if if the people really want better initiatives than the ones then the industry and the uh the interested billionaires like sean parker want to put out then they need to organize and get the money together to do it and until they do i'm going to be thankful for guys like sean parker that actually put some money forward to end my criminality why, why do you think that is uh russ why do you think that that people haven't stepped up in the activist community more. I think there's, uh, for one, I think a lot of our activist community, a lot of our marijuana community has been underground and persecuted for so long. Mm-hmm. We've built in this ingrained default setting that if it's the system, if it's the man, if it's corporate, it must be evil. Mm-hmm. And so that we disconnect ourselves from the power of our own, we disconnect ourselves from our own political power, believing that we are impotent and in believing that we're impotent, we make ourselves so. And that's where I get frustrated. And I'm hoping this Bernie Sanders revolution with all these small dollar donations starts to make a difference in the way that some people perceive this. And Kevin, I I appreciate you calling in. I always do. Uh, I'm up against the back of this segment. If you want to hold, we can stay on hold. I'll come back after the commercial. Will that be cool? Hey, you know what? Why don't you just you know just do, do the rest of your show? I actually have to go uh, uh, work with my attorney. Just I, I just wanted to call in and just give my two cents. Let's yeah. Try to schedule a show next week. My trial starts on March twenty first, so I'd love to maybe talk to you a little about the uh, legal judicial side of it maybe next week. But uh, yes. I appreciate the offer. I, I really do just gotta go. But uh, thanks again, Russ, for everything. All and, right, uh, thanks, Kevin Saunders, really, uh, and good luck on your uh, electoral campaigns and on the uh, uh, trial coming up. We'll get you on the air to talk about that soon. Uh, appreciate your call in and uh, good luck on everything. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Stay tuned, folks. We are the voice of the marijuana nation. You're always welcome to call. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, 
or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your Fired Up Lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 46 after the hour, live here from Astoria, Oregon. Glad to have Kevin Saunders calling in in that last segment because uh, it does open up the discussion on what the people want. What do the people want? And this is where, you know, trying to make that comparison, Alma, MCLR is Hillary versus Bernie. I've I've known that people were going to come at me with that because of my emerging stance as being a Bernie bro and all that. But it's a completely different uh, animal in a lot of ways. And one way that we can look at this is that when we're talking about the people, what the people want, when it comes to Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, there are really three the people. And the people are Democrats, independents, and Republicans. And so you can do all sorts of analysis, but the people really break down to that, politically speaking. And you can say which candidate is better or worse based on those kind of things. And when we're talking about the people, we're talking about two major parties right now. So we're talking a third to half on either side at any one time. But when we're talking about marijuana reform, the people is a very, 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 very small Sliver of people who really give a shit about marijuana policy. Keith Strop is often found uh, fond of saying that annually there's only about 14% of the American public that uses marijuana. Monthly, it's down to about 8%, right? So right off the bat, we got anywhere between 92 and 86% of the population that does not give a shit. Now, I'm speaking loosely. Maybe there's some 
group of them that support legalization or marijuana policy change just because it's the right thing to do. They're politically astute and aware. They have empathy for others not like themselves. But generally speaking, the people that really care about marijuana reform are the people that are really impacted by marijuana reform, you and me. And there aren't a whole lot of you and me compared to the general public, uh, general population. Then when you further take that number and let's play with the number a little bit, let's say it's 10%. Let's say that we get a large segment of the regular tokers who give a shit politically speaking. And then we get a smaller segment of the non tokers who give a shit and you add those two together and you end up with about 10% of the people who really care in any significant way about marijuana law reform. Now of that 10% of the people, you got to narrow it down a little bit more by people who are actually politically engaged and vote. And judging by turnout numbers, it's low in America. Maybe higher for those of us who really care. But now we're just talking about a fraction of our 10%. Let's say it's now 6%. You know, 60% of our 10% are politically engaged. Then, now, now we're down to 6% of the people. Now, of those 6% of the people, that's not a whole lot of people. How many of them have any sort of financial ability to donate to a campaign or time commitment they can donate to a campaign of those 6%, right? Not a whole lot. The point I'm getting to is that those of us who can actually affect change, who can actually spend the time to collect signatures or open up our wallets to give money to a campaign to legalize marijuana is a frighteningly small number. So when someone comes along, one of us who likes the idea of legalizing marijuana and one of those people has a billion dollars at their, at their disposal and spends a million of it to legalize the first reaction from the cannabis community should be, thank the stars above. Oh, my God. One of us finally has enough money to actually make a change. The rest of us, we were just smoking weed and, you know, saving up our 10s and 20s to buy a bag rather than donate to any causes or normal or anything like that. Thank goodness somebody came along with a million dollars who can spend that kind of money to get it legal. Nope. <laughs> That's not the response that we get. Richard Lee did it in 2010. And this is the thing that killed me and really started turning me into the cynic I am today is you'd think it's like, okay, here comes this guy who's heavily embedded in the community. Everybody knew who Richard Lee was. Everybody praised the bulldog coffee shop, Oaksterdam university. Here's a guy who took his own, disability, the injury he suffered that turned him into a paraplegic, paralyzed in a wheelchair, benefiting from medical marijuana, plows his profits back into the community by creating a university to train people how to grow medical marijuana, creates a very popular coffee shop, raises the profile of medical marijuana in the Oakland area, revitalizes an Oakland neighborhood, shows up on the local Oakland Bay Area 
network uh, news uh, affiliates on a regular basis couldn't be any more one of us. A stoner from Texas who moves to California so he can use medical marijuana while he's in a wheelchair creates a successful business and then takes $1.5 million of that money when nobody would would fund legalization in California. 2010, up to that point, legalization had been tried in Alaska, Nevada, and Colorado multiple times and failed. All because of backing from MPP. They didn't fail because of MPP, but they were all backed by MPP, which meant they were backed by Peter Lewis and George Soros and, and the other billionaires who aren't pot smokers. They're not us, right? You're Soros, you're George... Well, Zimmer is, but but your uh, your Soros, your Lewis, your uh, Sperling was the other guy, the trio of billionaires, the three amigos that funded most of the medical and legalization that happened in the two thousands. They're not us; they just support us. But here in twenty ten, you had Richard Lee hunt one point five men of his own money, medical marijuana patient, unassailable in a wheelchair made it big or made it at least big enough to propose legalization in California when no one else was for it. No one else would support it. No one would give any money for it. B expectations was blowing the polls away, was opening up the national discussion for marijuana legalization. And we had people that were pillaring him, crucifying him on social media and in the regular media, people from our own community saying he was trying to create a monopoly and he was a sellout and, this was the mo- the worst thing ever, and vote no on Prop 19. It was just mind-blowing, and that was a, a moment that kind of just changed my perspective to realize that some people just have this innate distrust of the man and the process and the system and the politics and all of that, and it's just, it, it just blows my mind. So now we get a repeat of this. We get Sean Parker pushing his initiative, and we get the same kind of response from these same sorts of people. And and generally, I don't think it's the people so much as it is these dispensary owners or existing growers who like the status quo the way it is. And then, of course, they can pull some of their more easily manipulated customers into believing these strange conspiracy theories that the guy in the wheelchair wants to destroy cannabis consumers through legalization. <laughs> Crazy. They will be held accountable, though. All right, we're going to uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll close the show up from beautiful Astoria, Oregon. Never say die. We'll be back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. 
Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Day. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Closing up shop here. Tomorrow on the show, what do we got going on tomorrow? Well, it's a Friday show, so I'm sure something good. <laughs> kind of running off the seat of my pants lately, uh, being out here on the road. We'll be on the road most of 2016. I was talking to Michael Kravitz earlier today. He's with Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access, and we're uh, putting together plans to be on the East Coast for Ungas and for the... Um, there's a bunch of conferences going on out there, and apparently Mark Kleiman from Botech is putting on a conference uh, Paul Armentano is going to be there, all the big drug policy people, but also Kevin Sabet and Rosalie Pacula and a bunch of the antis are going to be there as well. That's in New York uh, right before Ungas. So I may just be out on the East Coast between Boston, Baltimore, and New York for most of April. So that could be very interesting. I'll keep you all posted on that. But um at this time, it's uh, time for us to go. We're done here on CannabisRadio.com for today. Be back tomorrow with another live show at 3 p.m. Pacific, followed by Stoner Jesus at 5 p.m. Pacific live on Fridays. Be coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona next week from the headquarters of CannabisRadio.com. We'll talk to the founders of Cannabis Radio to get their perspective on the future and their excitement on signing Tommy Chong. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and beautiful legal Grassoria, Oregon, home of the Goonies, never say die. I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.